listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Public Radio Choir with the hymn On Jordan's Bank, the Baptist Cry, a song for this coming Sunday, the second Sunday after Advent, where in addition to hearing the proclamations of John the Baptist, that's standard for Advent, we also hear from the Apostle Peter, and he warns us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Advent. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. So why does John the Baptist get so much attention in Advent? Well, we'll hear it today in the prophecy about him, that he is the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And since John the Baptist prepares, and we're thinking about the coming of Christ and at least one of the comings, probably the least important one, frankly, but maybe the most important for us since it's our remembrance of it is the coming of Christ, so to speak, at Christmas, that we're looking forward to celebrating the fact that he has come in the flesh for our salvation just about 2,000 years ago. So John the Baptist is the natural preparation, and that's why he falls into the themes of Advent in particular. We're going to finally jump into Mark's gospel at the beginning, and we're going to see that of all the gospels, Mark really makes John the Baptist primary in a simple way. He has no introduction whatsoever. He just says, here we go. And the first thing to say is Isaiah has a prophecy, and John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that preparing for Christ Jesus to come. So what would you say the gospel focuses? The gospel really is going to zoom in on that prophecy, behold, I send my messenger before your face, prepare the way of the Lord. Kind of a combination of a few passages from the Old Testament, actually. And it's going to focus on John's ministry of repentance. So we're going to hear about his baptism. We're going to be here about the purpose of his baptism. I think probably best here in Mark. And then as we look, he's going to give us a hint at what is to come, talking about the one who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, speaking of Jesus. We're actually going to hear part of that story repeated again from John's gospel next Sunday, which will also focus us in on John the Baptist, but a little more on his preaching of Christ and pointing to the Lamb of God, even though that's not the direct text that we're going to hear. Are there some connecting themes that we should know about? Not maybe as well as some of the days. And the reason for that is in the first Christ half of the year, our lectionary here in the three-year lectionary is trying to at least retain some of what the historic one-year lectionary had. 
And I think you see that maybe in a way that you would only know if you were very familiar with the one-year lectionary in today's text. So they have our reading from Second Peter that doesn't only speak about repentance, that certainly is a big focus there, but especially about the end of the world, about the judgment of God, and therefore how we should be acting and uh, be disciplined as we await for the last day. It's very similar to the theme that Jesus gives us in the gospel that was traditionally appointed for this Sunday, talking about the end of the world and talking about, as we heard just a couple Sundays ago at the end of the church year, how his words will never pass away. We have repentance as kind of a main theme that is everywhere throughout our text today. Uh, But then we're going to see many of the other general Advent themes coming to bear around it, whether it's the end of the world, our Lord's second coming, whether it's mortality. We'll see that in Isaiah's passage, that the message that the Baptist will cry is going to be somewhat tempered because it's going to be a message that reveals no human being can really give true hope at all. We're going to need something much more dramatic to give us hope. And that something is the Lord himself who is going to come, whose way John the Baptist is preparing. The intro it is from Psalm 80. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. You brought a vine out of Egypt. It took deep root and filled the land. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine, that we may be saved. I mentioned last week when we looked at the intro, also from Psalm 80, that it was kind of disappointing that we didn't get to hear about the vine brought out of Egypt, tying in with some of the other readings that we heard, particularly that Old Testament reading. Well, today we get to have exactly that. We get to hear the rest of Psalm 80, which begins talking about the shepherd of Israel and talks about all of the difficulties they faced but then especially talks about how the Lord had brought this vine out of Egypt, speaking about the people of Israel, how he had planted them in the promised land, and now they are facing struggles as they're being hemmed in and attacked by all the nations surrounding them. Here, I think our boiled-down version, if I can call that in today's intro, it really drives home the point that the shepherd of Israel, the one who led Joseph, the one, the Lord, who is enthroned on the cherubim in that glorious cloud of his presence, the one whose face shines on them in blessing and saves them, this is, in fact, the very vine that they bring out of Egypt, that this is Christ, the right-hand man of God who is the one who will restore them. So an interesting prayer to hear at the beginning, we're going to jump into the Old Testament with Isaiah and hear that there is a need to be rescued, a need to be pardoned, a need to be forgiven. But that might not necessarily be what the children of Israel have always thought is their real enemy. It's easy to see how when you're an occupied nation, by the Roman Empire, perhaps you don't really feel like the forgiveness of sins is the most important rescue that is needed. But that certainly is the case, as we heard in last Sunday's Collect, rescue us from the threatening perils of our sins. And today we're going to see that beginning in the ministry of John. What is the Collect? Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. 
So a really fortuitous matching that this old colic for Advent 2 also emphasized the way of Christ coming. And that certainly is shown to us in John the Baptist, that he is the one who's preparing the way. Uh, so we want the way also to be prepared for Christ Jesus to come to us. And maybe you want to ask the question, which coming of Christ do we have in mind here? Do we mean his coming in the flesh in the time of the scriptures? No. Do we mean his coming at the last day? I think so. We'll see that especially in the epistle from Peter, that the thoughts and the attention that is given to the end of the world actually does lead us to have a new and changed mind that is interested in the things of God, that wants to live purely and wisely in a way that is pleasing to God here on earth, one that is already, so to speak, with one foot in eternal life. But also I think it means stir up your power, O Lord, stir up our hearts, and let your Son come to us in his word and in his promises, in his church, in the blessed sacraments. So I think this Sunday, as we have it, probably is much more focused not on his coming at the last day, but on his coming right now and every day through his word in the ministry of his church. You mentioned the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 40, the first 11 verses. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This famous text from Isaiah is well known to us for many little passages that should jump out to our ears, prophecies that are quoted in the New Testament. Certainly, Comfort Ye My People gives rise to a hymn that is well known and sung in our churches. Also, this was the Old Testament reading that was commonly appointed on the third Sunday in the traditional lectionary, too. So it's very familiar to the church. And what comfort is God giving to Isaiah to pass on to Jerusalem, to pass on to the people of Israel? That the Lord is going to arise for his people and comfort them, that he's going to give them the forgiveness of sins. Did you see that? That her iniquity is pardoned. This is the source of Israel's comfort, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, that it's entirely taken care of. 
And then comes the voice crying. Certainly this is directly connected to John the Baptist, as we'll see when we get to our gospel reading from Mark. And here we see that the voice is crying. There's a little ambiguity that many have noticed in the text and in the way it's quoted in the New Testament, whether the voice is in the wilderness crying or whether the voice is crying that the way should be prepared in the wilderness. And I suppose it probably doesn't matter too much since we see that our Lord and John the Baptist are there together on the far side of the Jordan quickly at the beginning of the Gospels. The point, though, is to make the way of the Lord straight. He himself is coming for his people. He's coming to be with them. He's coming to bring this comfort of the forgiveness of sins that was just spoken of. What kind of things should be done for our God? Well, make everything level and straight. Root out everything that is crooked uh, and let everybody see his glory. All flesh be gathered together because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is the thing that the Lord has spoken? The thing that the Lord has spoken is the comfort that nothing should get in the way of this. Nothing should get in the way of the forgiveness of sins, the pardoning that the Lord is giving. What can get in the way? Us, when we are clinging to our sins and not giving them up. And so we see already in Isaiah an understanding of repentance being built up here, which is going to be mentioned even more so when we get to the gospel and John. But before we do, we have to get to this kind of uh, rhetorical response from the prophet Isaiah. And I think we could say from John the Baptist, as well as from any preacher, at the initial hearing that the Lord has a word of comfort and that he calls on us to cry about comfort. Because what comfort could possibly be given to this world? The thing that is troubling the prophet here as he has this kind of conversation with us rhetorically is what comfort and hope can you purvey in this world when the very best things we have, the very most cherished and essential thing we have, life, is outside of our control? When we, in fact, are mortal when I am not going to continue forever, even the things that I can have in this world, as people so often say, you can't take them with you and you can't enjoy them for eternity. I do think death is the place for people to have a little more despair maybe than they normally do. We know it's not uncommon that when people come face to face with death, whether that's the death of somebody they know or whether it's their own death, they often think a little more carefully. They number their days, like Psalm 90 says. And in some cases, they look at it and they say, boy, if that's all there is, what's the point of it all? The prophet comes very close to saying that, but he repeats himself and says, not only are we all mortal, but there is, in fact, one thing that endures forever, one thing that is immortal, one thing that can then be a word of comfort and hope. And that thing is the word of our God. Really, this is what we heard last Sunday in the gospel, that alternate gospel that probably a lot of people didn't use from later in Mark, the apocalyptic section, where Jesus says very clearly, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Well, this is a famous slogan that becomes kind of the rallying cry of Lutherans in the time of the Reformation, that the word of the Lord endures forever. 
Lord, keep us steadfast in your word, is kind of turning that into a prayer. This then is our cry. This is the gospel message. This is the thing that can bring comfort to a world that otherwise is mortal and dying and might have no hope, and that is the Lord stands forever. His word does not fail, and his word is a word of the forgiveness of sins. Thus, we talk about the herald on the mountain calling out how God comes with his might and his arm comes not to give recompense to us, to give us pardon, as we talked about before, instead to gather us as lambs and sheeps, to carry us close to him, to be that shepherd of Israel that we heard about in our intro at Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Advent. We will be in Psalm 85 as the appointed psalm next. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc., a journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online issues, etc., journal, issuesetc.org. Do you need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com And use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to the second Sunday in Advent with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, the appointed psalm for this second Sunday in Advent is Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable to your land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast 
turn thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. Only let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Psalm 85 is common for Advent. You can hear the theme of the captivity, how the people are in exile. And maybe you're thinking of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that talks about that, how Israel mourns in exile, consider the days of the Babylonian captivity. And so the psalmist is remembering back to the times when he was favorable to their land and asking that the Lord would arise and bless them again. What is wonderful and very instructive to us is how he draws our attention to the sins and the wrath of God. We should learn from this psalm that the wrath of God is hot against sins and sinners, and that then it is desperately important and vital that the forgiveness of sins be heard. So notice he asks the kind of rhetorical question, are you going to be angry with us forever? Is your judgment going to rest on us for all eternity? Aren't you instead going to revive us again? This is a very pushy kind of a prayer, as we see often in the Psalms. But notice the way the psalmist is pushing God on the basis of his promises, on the basis of what he's done before. And we would understand this rightly so on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. We know that our Lord has put his own son into death in order to save us. Is he going to let that go to waste? Or is he going to forgive our sins? Is he going to bring us with him all good things, as Paul says in Romans? Of course he will, right? So that's what makes us bold then to say, show that to us, Lord. Show us your steadfast love. Show us and give us your salvation. I especially love verse 8, which in addition to all of the kind of proclamation of pardon and forgiveness and the concern over God's wrath against our sins that was spoken of above, turning the grass into withering piles, in addition to that, verse 8 says, let me hear what God will speak, because he will speak peace to his people, even to his saints. This is the delight of a Christian, to hear the word of God over and over again, to press on through all of the convicting words, which we acknowledge, which we repent of our sins on the basis of these commands of God, but that we would push on to hear the word of peace, the word of forgiveness. And in fact, that he calls us not sinners in the end, but saints, because he has shed his blood for us. There's also added to this, only let us not turn back into the same kind of folly. This is something of the Christian resolve to put away sin now that we've been freed of it.
In the end, verse 10, 11, 12, and so forth, we hear kind of these poetic expressions that might be taken to talk about a blessing of harvest in the land. But these have almost always been taken by the church to speak about Christ in his incarnation. So verse 11, you have faithfulness springs up from the ground, righteousness looks down from the sky. This notion that in the incarnation, you have at last a man who is faithful in all things, and you have the eternal righteous God who is arising for the salvation of his people going off to do his work. Likewise, in verse 10, that you have steadfast love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace, that you have something at last that will reconcile what seems to be so distant from each other, the steadfast mercy and undeserved grace, kindness of God toward us, and his judgment, his anger with sin. How can that possibly be reconciled? Well, the answer is in Jesus Christ. The answer is in his word that endures forever, in his death, by which the word of forgiveness now at last can be spoken honestly, truthfully. And this is what Christianity really is focused in and all about. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We will be into the epistle in Second Peter chapter 3 for the second Sunday in Advent next. Please include the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. You can donate online at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. For a year-end gift of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Over Rule 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. This is Pastor Van Maren of Peace Lutheran Church, the confessional alternative congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Synod here in South Lakeland, Florida, at peacelutheranlakeland.com. We invite you to join us at 10 o'clock Sunday for divine service to receive Christ and his gifts of life, hope, and salvation. Again, we are online at peacelutheranlakeland.com. Thank you, and God's blessings. Our children are always a blessing to us, but not only are we blessed by them, but we have opportunities to bless them as well. Pastor Christopher Nuttleman, in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, takes up the topic of blessing your children, how to bless them in your home, with the Word of God and prayer. To learn more, pick up your copy of the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. I like to think of the deaconess vocation as driven by two things, the love of Christ and the needs of our neighbor. 
Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. James Busher, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, on the vocation of deaconess. First, the deaconess is moved by the love of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. Yet I think we can also see the profound needs around us, broken families, loneliness, despair. Deaconesses help the church to become a true family that manifests the love of Christ in our love for one another, and especially for those in need. For more information on the Deaconess Studies program at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, visit ctsfw.edu or call Concordia Theological Seminary at 1-800-481-2155. back. I'm Todd Wilkins. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, we come to the epistle reading you had mentioned before, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I should mention that we heard part of this passage just a couple weeks ago on the last Sunday. We had as our intro at Antiphon this statement about waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, in which all things are right, in which the grass no longer fades and withers, in which the Lord will call us saints and at last we will see it perfectly. That's what we're awaiting and looking forward to. Interesting, we come right into the middle of the conversation and Peter is trying to talk to people about not losing hope and about not despairing that the Lord seems to be delaying. So this is probably pretty appropriate in a couple ways to hear right after the start of a new church year. One, we're going to be looking at Mark's gospel all year, and Mark is often associated with Peter. There seems to be some evidence from the early church that Mark actually drew his account with Peter nearby there in Rome. But another reason is, here we are, we just got done with the end of the church here, focused on the end times and that the Lord is coming soon. He'll come like a thief in the night, so we better uh, be watching and be ready at all times. It'll come very soon at an hour we don't know. And yet now it seems like he hasn't. We're into another church year. We're we're off to the races yet again. It seems like we're just turning over the calendar again, and, and maybe he's not coming back. Is he? Is he delayed? Is he being too slow about it? Which is what prompts 
Peter to say this often repeated phrase actually of a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day to God. It's important to notice what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about how God can't keep time or something. He's talking about how the Lord is not mortal like we are. He does not have a short lifespan to concern himself with, but also he's not nearly as impatient as we are. And his timing, of course, is the best timing. So what are we to say if it seems like he's delayed, he's slower than we expected him or want him maybe to be? We should see that he's not slow, but he's being patient, calm, awaiting something. And for what sake? He's giving room for all to reach repentance. This is his desire. He doesn't want any to perish. He actually desires all men to be saved, as Paul writes to Timothy. Now, what does that mean, that he should wait for all to reach repentance or come to repentance? It's not a matter of that everybody needs to have a chance to come to faith in Christ, notice, in the sense of believing in him. If anything, it's the opposite. It's the sense of everybody has the opportunity to recognize that they stand under God's judgment and then to consider what to do about that. So it's definitely more of a law consideration, but that does accord, frankly, with the way the scriptures speak about salvation, that it's not a decision we make. It's not an accomplishment that we achieve in any way. It's not really a chance where God is waiting on us to do something. Rather, God is doing everything, and his patience, his waiting then, is, in fact, chance for him to be doing his work, uh, which is the most important thing. This is part of his fatherliness, that he is patient with us. We have mentioned again this thief in the night. Again, everybody from Jesus to Paul, now Peter, everybody is using this analogy. And again, as the other times, it's not about snatching people away and stealing them. It's about the surprise, the unexpectedness of the Lord's coming. Now, when Peter talks about it here, this is a very unique place in the scriptures that seems to present the end of the world and of heavens and the earth, not so much as a renewal or a changing or a transformation, but as an almost entire destruction. We have this conversation about everything burning up and being dissolved, that the elements even are going to melt away. It's quite a dramatic picture. I think it's helpful for us especially when we try to reconcile this maybe with other parts of the scriptures that speak more about a renewal, about the Lord's return, about him bringing us to his home, is to see the point with which Peter is talking about this burning up. Honestly, it's very similar to what we heard before about the breath of the Lord, which Jesus brings into his sermons as well, that the lilies of the field are good enough to be thrown into the oven and be burnt up. Peter's emphasis here is the exposure of something, that the last day is going to come and expose everything. And this is hot on the heels of talking about reaching repentance. On the last day, all of the works that are done are going to be evident. There's going to be no more place to hide. There's going to be no more veneer on anybody. But the Lord and everyone else will see clearly what has happened, what has taken place, what works have been done, what people's trusts really were. Therefore, the last day, whenever it should come, whether slow or long, is to be something we should be prepared for. And Peter wants his Christians that are listening to this to be prepared for it, to be waiting, to be people of godliness, 
He says another thing that's maybe difficult to understand about hastening the day of salvation. I guess that introduces the question, are we able to actually change God's timeline? I don't think that's what he means at all, but rather he's he's speaking kind of contrary to fact, but according to our wishes. A Christian might be tempted to say that the Lord has been slow in his coming since he's taking a long time. Maybe we want it to be right now. Why would we want it to be right now? Well, because we want to be in the place where righteousness and righteousness alone dwells. We want to be free of our own sins. We certainly want to be free of the sins of others. We want to see the Lord's glory, as we heard there in the Old Testament reading. So that's a good reason to be somewhat eager, expectant, ready, and watching, as we've heard at the end of last church year. But we should not be impatient, that is, tempted to despair, tempted to anger that the Lord is letting this go on or that go on, bitterness against him. Rather, we want to desire the Lord's speedy return because we desire him and his promises, which means that we're going to be diligent to be found as we are in him even now, as much as it's possible to make a beginning in our good works, to be just as he has promised that it is, and to do what would please him. Again, consider last week's alternate gospel, where Jesus says everything is going to fall and pass away. All the stuff that we love, of course, isn't going to be taken with us, but certainly even the works that we do. The only thing that's going to continue is his word. Therefore, if we're considering what works we're going to be invested in, what activities we're going to be doing, let's invest in the ones that are spoken of in the Lord's word the things that please him, the works of light, not the works of darkness. Those are the only things that have any chance of lasting and of staying because they're done in Christ Jesus and in faith in him. That brings us to the gradual and the verse. What are they? Again, like from last week, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Maybe seems out of place. We're done with Palm Sunday, aren't we? But we certainly are, again, constantly reminding ourselves what the season of Advent, coming of God, is all about. And that is, we are remembering the way the Old Testament people of God were looking forward to the Messiah's coming. So likewise, we in the New Testament are looking forward to his return at the last day to set all things right, to give us by sight what we have by faith. He's coming with his righteousness and with the fulfillment of all of his salvation worked for us by his first coming. Then we have this week's verse from Luke chapter 3, kind of a combination of what we hear quoted from Isaiah in today's gospel also. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight, all flesh shall see the salvation of God, quoted also in our Old Testament reading. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We'll be in the Gospel reading from Mark 1, beginning at verse 1, next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we launch into the prophet Micah with The Lord is coming, exile is coming, woe to oppressors, do not preach, and rulers denounced. Join me. 
Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendorse.org or on your favorite podcast provider. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. The Evangelical Lutheran Church holds that it is God who raises up men to serve His Holy Bride through His Office of the Holy Ministry. At Concordia University, Chicago, we prepare men to take the first step on the path by which God leads them to His pastoral office. Are you ready to take this step? I'm Dr. James Ambrose Lee, Chair of the Division of Theology at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more about the pre-seminary program at CUC by visiting cuchicago.edu. CUChicago.edu. Folks, if you are tired of sending Christless Christmas cards, visit adcrucem.com. You'll find Christmas cards on the Madonna and Child, the Magnificat, Good News of Great Joy, the Titles of Christ, Adoration of the Shepherds, and more. A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Advent. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, here is the Gospel reading, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Read it for us. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark's gospel is characterized by its brevity. It's the shortest of the gospels. It's also characterized by almost comical, I think, at least among the pastors who kind of give their short versions of the gospel, that he's always using this word immediately, or I think we have that kind of here in verse four, boom, John appeared. 
there's a quickness to it. It's almost an impatience, if I could dare to say that, given all we've heard from Peter, an impatience to get on with it and get especially to the cross of Christ and the mission for which he came. That's certainly the way then the beginning of this is. He starts off with just one phrase, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here it is. Nice to see that Mark is not confused about who Jesus is. It's sometimes been said that Mark has to have been the first gospel because it's the shortest, therefore the others kind of evolved out of it. That would be the kind of scholarly opinion about it, even though the church hasn't usually ordered it that way. If that's the case, then I guess from the very beginning, we knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Christ, and there was never any confusion about who he was. The message of John is, a, is to be the one who is preparing the way for the Lord. Do the math. That means that Jesus is Lord. So, fine, we really have everything we need to know. This is going to be about Jesus, and Jesus is the Christ, and he is the Son of God. But it's fascinating that Mark begins with the Old Testament, the beginning of the gospel of this guy that actually was already spoken about by Isaiah the prophet. And then we have the quotations. I send my messenger before your face to prepare your way. And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All very clear, by the way, that the one who is coming is the Lord himself. Sometimes that gets overlooked, maybe because We've seen so many movies and understandings that were extant at the time of Christ that the people of Israel were really waiting for more of a Hasmonean, Judas Maccabeus kind of deliverer, another judge to be raised up from the Lord who might beat the Romans and deliver Israel back to its glory day, just an earthly son of David, new king, or even just a temporary one like the judges. The prophet Isaiah was very clear that the one who is to come is the Lord himself. I guess that has to suffice for Mark's gospel, for the Christmas story, the incarnation message. All we get to hear is that the Lord himself is coming. The next thing we know, we get to hear about John and his ministry. What do we make of John's baptism in particular? It's called here and elsewhere, uh, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, I like this. And it's been a long question among the dogmaticians of, is there a difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, between this thing going on here and what we know and love, holy baptism instituted by Christ, which is done in the church all the time. The Lutheran dogmaticians almost always emphasize the difference between them. And for good reason, we heard at the end, I baptize with water. John always is trying to downplay his baptism but the one who comes after brings the Holy Spirit. I think this is the one passage that really argues strongly the other way, that there's more in common that we need to recognize. The thing that's in common is not only that it's a baptism of repentance, that in fact we are turning away from our old, wicked, sinful ways, but also a, repent, a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. This is the exact same kind of language that Peter uses in Acts. Repent and be baptized, everyone, for the forgiveness of your sins. Or Paul says, wash your sins away with baptism. So John is interested in this message too. In my mind, I have a hard time not going to Luke's gospel where we have that beautiful song of Zechariah talking about John the Baptist and He's going to be the child who goes before the Lord to prepare his way, to give the people knowledge of salvation 
the forgiveness of their sins. So it is not as if John is only the law, the bad cop, and Jesus comes along and is the good cop. There's something more full here, that the message of the Old Testament is being proclaimed, that John is setting himself up as a prophet, one who's calling people to return to the Lord, specifically to confess not their grudges against the Romans, not their frustrations with the divisions between Pharisees and Sadducees or any of that, but to confess their own sins and to turn from them and to seek pardon. Everything that we heard about beautifully in Isaiah, everything that Peter says the Lord has delayed for so long for is so that people would repent and seek that pardon that he alone can give. This baptism is to lead them towards that. And therefore, I think we often end up on the side that John's baptism was preparatory like the rest of his ministry for Jesus, who is the true thing. I think that accords just fine to lead people through repentance toward the forgiveness of sins. They will find that Jesus is the one who authors that forgiveness by his blood and then who goes and delivers it in his word in his sacraments, in his church. Just as he'll say at the end of Luke's gospel, the whole message, the whole Old Testament, in fact, was written so that it would testify of Christ and his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and so that on the basis of this, it would mean that people should repent and be baptized. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached in the name of Jesus, the one who is greater than John and coming. How would you summarize the gospel's message for the hearers on second Sunday of Advent. The second Sunday of Advent introduces us to John the Baptist and says that he's the one who is preparing the way of the Lord himself to come, that John should not be our focus forever because his work is preparatory for the one who is greater and mightier than him, the one who brings the Holy Spirit. And John's baptism is the way he prepares us for that, that is, through repentance. This then is a penitential season, the season of Advent, where we are recognizing our sins, where we are considering deeply our need for this Lord who has come in the flesh, who is continuing to come in his church, and who will come at the last day. Therefore, we want to be mindful and aware of this and serve him with pure minds. But what is essential for that is that we receive his pardon. On our own, we have no hope. We have nothing but death to look forward to, I suppose. But with Christ Jesus, we have the one who forgives sins and therefore brings with it life and salvation as well. This is the Lord whose coming we celebrate. What hymns are before us for Second Sunday in Advent? The hymn of the day is one of the John the Baptist hymns, On Jordan's Bank, the Baptist Cry. This is a very simple one that takes not only John the Baptist's ministry, it doesn't really lay it out for us as much as it says, let's make this come among us also. Let's see that the preaching of the church that we're in right now is going to accomplish what John's did. So if the Lord is nigh, then we want to awake and be glad that our King is coming. We want to have our lives be cleansed and straightened out like that Isaiah passage said. And how is that going to come? That's going to happen by the cleansing that comes through his pardon, his forgiveness of sins. We're going to recognize that he is our Savior, our Lord. Without him, we would be, just as Isaiah says, flowers that fade. We would be mortal and have only the hope of a mortal person, which is none at all. 
Rather, we can grieve then with hope since Christ has come. Uh, we get a little foreshadowing of Jesus' ministry even. He talks about laying his hands on the sick, uh, making the weak knees to stand. Uh, these are the messages that John was heartened to hear in prison uh, when Jesus said, Nope, I am the one who was to come, and blessed is he who is not scandalized by me. Next Sunday, we're going to hear a little more in a different hymn about John the Baptist, because we're going to have one more Sunday focused on him before we move on to some other characters from the scriptures too. Really, in year B, we get an introduction to all sorts of Old Testament characters and the beginning of the New Testament characters, all preparing us for the birth of Christ on Christmas. So John the Baptist really functions today exactly as he did when he was living and preaching, doesn't he? We just bring him forward through the Holy Scriptures and let him continue his preparatory ministry now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He does. This is the proper preface that people are probably hearing on Sunday. When you get to the part, it's truly meet, right, and salutary, that at all times we should give thanks through Jesus Christ, whose way John the Baptist prepared and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed. How? By pointing us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We won't get to hear that passage this year, but we know it so well because we say it all the time. We sing it when we get to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world during Holy Communion. John's big gospel sermon always gets preached to us every Sunday. Here in Advent, we take a moment to look at his preparatory work, which was always through calling to repentance. What is the purpose then of repentance? It's not to make us feel bad. It's not to bring us down. It's not just to keep us humble. It's to make us hunger and thirst for righteousness, which only Christ Jesus can give, which is the whole reason the Lord has sent not some angel, not just prophets to do his work, but sends his own son into our flesh to redeem us, to be the Lord himself coming to give pardon and to proclaim his comfort to us. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. You're welcome. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions, and we'll talk with Terry Mattingly about a Forbes story on Democratic presidential candidate and Princeton theology professor Cornell West. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Would you like to learn about the Reformation theology you hear on Issues Etc.? We'll send you a pamphlet of Luther's small catechism for free. It contains the biblical teachings on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and Confession and Absolution. 
Order your free copy of Luther's Small Catechism today. Just send your name and mailing address to talkback at issuesetc.org. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.